Welcome to the Paradox PT Podcast. I'm Leo Falzon. In today's episode, we have a bit of a departure from the typical physio content that I usually cover here. Today, I'm speaking with my colleague, registered psychotherapist, John Sendim, who is a member of the team at Umana Health and who's a really amazing resource for us to lean on when we have clients who need explicitly psychological support. We jump around a lot in this episode and we talk about how to find a quality therapist, John's experience working with people with schizophrenia, why stoicism and mindfulness have exploded so much in popularity over the past decade, uh, the utility of diagnostic labels in therapy, and much, much more. Now, if you are in Ontario and looking for a therapist, I can personally attest to the amazing results that my clients have had working with John. You can book in with him online at Uplift Therapy for Men or on the Umana Health website. If you've felt like you know you should look into talking to somebody and are struggling with uh, your mental health in one way or another, but you just don't know where to start or you know haven't really been able to vet a quality therapist, I can certainly say that John is top quality both as a human being and as a professional. So don't hesitate to reach out. He does a free 20-minute consult if you just want to see if he'd be a good fit. So I can't recommend that option highly enough. Without any further ado, here is my conversation with John Sendim. John, thanks, uh, thanks so much for for joining me, man. <laughs> how you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. Good. Um, to start off, just for people who have no clue what what you do and who you are, do you mind just giving a bit of an intro? Absolutely, yeah. So, hey everyone, I'm John Sendum. I'm a registered psychotherapist here at Imana. So, what I do is I sit and listen and talk to people about the concerns that they're dealing with. And um, I know you just you just kind of rebranded your whole business mm-hmm. from John Sendum Psychotherapy yep. into Uplift Therapy for Men. Did I get that right? Yep. Yep. Tell me a little bit about um, what was behind that mm-hmm. and when you made the switch and what was involved in yeah. And yeah. kind of niching down into that, the specific subgroup of men. Yeah. Oh, whew, where do I begin? So back now. <laughs> so I started my private practice when I graduated back in 2019. Um, kind of solo, just trying to figure things out, not having really a niche, just kind of helping anyone that would reach out. And through learning through various podcasts, different uh, videos, it's like you should develop a niche. So it took me about two years and a half to kind of get into that process mm-hmm. and I always knew I wanted to, to have my own practice of supporting, I guess, men now, um, but back then it was more like just supporting anyone in general, kind of like what we do here at Yamana, yeah. just having like a holistic approach to, to helping individuals. Mm-hmm. So the rebrand started this past summer, I think I'm going to say July, just kind of reaching out to, to a guy to help me with my website. Cause I did my own website, which I wasn't too proud of. Yeah. It got by, it got the job done. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of work. Just, eh? Yeah. It can't be, but there's YouTube videos that make it easy. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, so kind of reached out to, for help and it's just like, Oh shit, this is a big investment. Um, but I know I went to do a rebrand. So he had the, the elite package, I, you would say. Yeah. And do like the whole thing, the whole rebrand naming website, everything you can think of. Mm hmm. So we're going through that process. There's a lot of questions, a lot of reflection. I was just like, hey, what am I going to call my practice? And just kept going back and forth. Even like before doing that process with him, what was I going to name my practice in general? So I just decided on, send him psychotherapy. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then trying to develop a niche and a, fo- a particular focus uh, working with men. It's like, okay, I know I want to work with men. Um, so how can I brand in a way that's going to talk to that? Mm-hmm. So some reason uplift came to my mind. Yeah. So like helping men uplift uh, their mind, mental, physical, spiritual elements. Um, and then somehow added therapy for men as a kind of like SEO keyword as well. Yeah, true. Um, and not focusing so much on psychotherapy, but therapy in general. So like if I want to bring on other practitioners, therapy is more um, capable of doing that as opposed to psychotherapy, which is just limited to psychotherapists. Right. And why in the first place did you know, was, were, was treating and helping men mm-hmm. um, something that you, you felt like you wanted to, like, focus on? Yeah, so being a man myself yeah. um, starts there. So just kind of going through the trials of life of 
figuring out what does it mean to be a man, especially now in society in 2022, uh, becoming a new father, hmm. um, having lost my own father at, in my 20s was kind of like a big shift as well. So hmm. the whole manhood, masculinity, everything just started coming up, started listening to a lot of podcasts, reading books, YouTube videos around that whole identity of what man is. Yeah. And a lot of things came up for me. Um, and then I started joining like some men's group, going through that process. Mm. And I just felt like a sense of community. Like I'm an only child, so I don't have no brothers or sisters. So all my friends were guys. We used to like play sports, like do these things. And just feeling that like connection and brotherhood. Yeah. You know, seeing men struggle into society as we see with stats, like men commit suicide, like on average, like what was it? Three to three out of four or something. Yeah, through like the vast majority yeah. of suicides are, are, are men. Yeah. Um, men deal with like a lot of issues they don't talk about. Yeah. Um, so just having an outlet where men can be vulnerable, share, and know that there is support available to them. Mm-hmm. And how has your conception of, you know, what it means to be a man changed through all this learning that you've done? And, you know. Yeah, it's, it's an ongoing journey for sure, right? Yeah. Being in my 30s now, it's just like, okay, what does this chapter entail of being a man? So being a father, that's a big step now. It's like, okay, I have to take care of myself to be there for my for my family, for my for my baby, for my wife. Because um, my dad got sick around, like, in his 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was fairly young, too. Um, again, all these things are preventable. Like, he had a stroke uh, due to high blood pressure. Yeah. So things that can be preventable, but like as we know too, like people don't seek help. Right? Yeah. Old school mentality is just like, oh, I'm fine or I don't need help. I'm not going to talk to anyone. Yeah. But that's when you need to talk. Why do you think men suck so much at taking <laughs> care of themselves? <laughs> I guess it's just like an ego, like macho masculinity thing. It's like, no, I'm good. Yeah. I'm fine. I don't need support. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, what have you seen too? Like, with working with men. Yeah, I think it's just, uh, I mean, a big part of it is just the way that our masculine mm-hmm. authority figures acted yeah. when we were young and just generationally. Yeah, um, culturally. Yeah, just yeah. that whole notion of being the strong protector yeah. who, yeah. you know, and that necessar- that isn't necessarily in line with being vulnerable about your emotions mm-hmm. and, and that can lead to a lot of repressed stuff yeah. that yeah. can manifest in, you various. know, in various ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's it, it's really interesting I I think like one, one of the things I've heard you talk about is stoic philosophy mm-hmm. like on your Instagram a little bit yep. and one of the you know the tenets of stoicism is um, is to essentially uh, like it, it can it can on its surface look like this um, like putting up this shield, shield of being yeah. this you know strong person that perseveres through anything and just mm-hmm. Um, just hiding everything yeah um and but on the other side of it like if you take that too far that can Mm -hmm. definitely be problematic and can lead to some issues um so i'd be be curious to ask you about about stoic philosophy like what (laughs) what what have you learned from that is that something you integrate into your practice explicitly or is Mm. that just something that's informed your thinking or yeah i would say it's informed my thinking um i kind of got into stoicism a bit later on just through like ryan holiday kind of reading his books um listening to his podcast and yeah like you said like people are as men we try to put this armor this shield kind of have our guard up because we want to protect ourselves right mm-hmm. if we show our vulnerability we can get hurt mm-hmm. if we get hurt and then everything crumbles across uh, our lives but with stoicism it's not like about denying the emotions it's actually learning that we have these emotions for a reason that they're mm-hmm. here and what do we do with them right so if we have anger as men we tend to just show our anger through like violence, through sports, through other means. But like in nowadays society, if we don't have that outlet, how do we process that anger, right? So we repress it, uh, maybe we drink, we do other things that are not healthy and we harm ourselves in the process. So we shut down. It's like, oh, I'm feeling this anger, I'm just gonna shut down. Yeah, yeah. So part of the process is like, no, like understand, okay, I have this anger, why am I feeling angry? What's coming up for me? Someone said something, someone did something to me, I feel like a boundary was crossed. I have to look into that mm-hmm. right? and then work through it, work through that anger in a healthy way, whether it's through like mindfulness or even like just doing a workout, right? Just, Hey, I need to pump some weights, get that energy out of my body. Maybe do some mindfulness as well, calming down the nervous system. 
which is something that I learned from uh, Kristen Neff, who talks a lot about self-compassion. Mm-hmm. We kind of need the two extremes. We need the, like the boxing, for example, like kind of just letting it all out. But we also need the compassion practice, which mm-hmm. is kind of coming back to ourselves. Yeah. It's so interesting how these like relatively esoteric practices like mm-hmm. meditation or <laughs> stoicism, like this yeah. ancient Hellenistic yeah. philosophy, which emphasizes traditional virtues like mm-hmm. temperance is like mm-hmm. making a popular comeback, yeah. you know, or, yeah. or, or mindfulness, which 20 mm-hmm. years ago, if you were somebody who meditated, you'd be like a, hippie a weird hippie. Yeah. Whereas now it's like, if you haven't tried headspace, <laughs> it's like, you're like probably, yeah, yeah. like it's, yeah. it's the norm now. Exactly. Um, why do you think mindfulness has become so popular? Mm-hmm. I guess people are, are starting to see the benefits of mindfulness. Um, the way that mindfulness can be utilized in a good way, right? Again, there are some things, some dangers with mindfulness, which I think is probably not talked about as much, where people will have like a psychotic break or they'll try to do like a retreat for for like a week without talking and they just kind of lose it. Yeah. Um, so you got to be careful with those things too. Like, yeah, these things are great and all, but we also have to look at the flip side of things. So I think, yeah, there is a comeback with these old school ways of thinking but I think they make sense they're there for a reason mm-hmm. and people have to kind of start looking into them a bit more and understanding okay how can I use this in my day to day how is this going to benefit me it's a kind of like a menu sample like and when you go all you can eat it's like you can take from certain things implement them into your life into your practices and see what helps you at the end of the day mm-hmm. um, do you have a formalized mindfulness practice that you uh, you know employ on a day to day basis or is this something that you sporadically go to? That's a good question. I'm uh, I'm not sure how to answer that one, but for me, like anything could be mindfulness, right? It's like right. right now we're having this conversation. We're here. We're present with each other. I'm not on my phone texting, doing anything else. Mm-hmm. We're here, present. I'm noticing how I'm feeling. What's coming up for me? I'm kind of feeling nervous. Yeah. This podcast. Yeah, man. Not sure how it feels on your side. Oh, always a little bit. Yeah. 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 So just being present with that, like, okay, I'm feeling this way. How do I kind of regulate that? Right. So I got to take a deep breath. Got to pause a little bit. It's okay to allow silence. I know yeah. sometimes silence is awkward, weird, especially for clients. So like, we have to fill that air. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, it's okay. It's part of the process. Um, so there's no formal practice that I have right now. Um, it's something that I'm always looking to develop, always looking to implement new systems. And I just listened to to the Huberman podcast that we were talking about meditation. Mm. So there's a lot of stuff that I actually want to go back there, revisit and implement into my own. Yeah. Yeah. It was something that I was lucky enough to get exposed to when I was in like first year undergrad mm-hmm. um, and did it pretty consistently for like seven, eight years okay. meditating, like Vipassana yeah. style, yeah. 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 open awareness. Mm-hmm. Um and it's pretty profound stuff. It's it's one of those practices that I don't know. You, you need to like dig into on a uh, an actual personal level yeah. um, to really understand. And and I think everybody probably will respond differently to these different flavors of yeah. contemplative practices. practices. And some people resonate with one, and mm-hmm. some people resonate with um, with others. Uh, but there, like you said, there are lots of things on the menu. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how would you define mindfulness? Like, what what would you say? Like, if you had to, just for somebody who didn't know anything about it, mm-hmm. like, how when, when when you talk to clients and you try to introduce this concept of mindfulness they can bring into their life, mm-hmm. what would you say there? Yeah, I'm not sure how I actually mention it to clients, but just allowing them to to be present with what's happening in the here and now. Right. So, like I mentioned, with like how I'm feeling. Right. Okay, I'm like I'm feeling this weird sensation in my chest. We are like, my hands are sweaty. So it's like, okay, I'm present to those feelings in my body. And then also like the thought processing. Okay, what's coming up in terms of my thoughts? Mm-hmm. So I kind of tell that to clients, like, what's happening for you here right now? So that's kind of like a check-in what I do. It's like, maybe we'll talk about something and either I notice something that, like a facial expression or something that they might say. And then I just like pause and then check in with them. It's like, hey, what's happening for you right now in this particular moment? Mm-hmm. And then they usually take a breath and they check in with themselves and they're like, oh yeah, this is what's coming up for me. And we kind of use that as a way to like, yeah, that's mindfulness right there. You're being aware of what's happening for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know it's, it's powerful. It must be, it must be interesting in those psychotherapy sessions. Like you, um, as a, you know, as the person in the, the seat of the therapist, like mm-hmm. 
you must have to employ a lot of that yourself to have the space to hold for other people. Absolutely. I can imagine that. I mean, it's like we, we obviously spend a lot of time doing a similar thing as, mm-hmm. as physios when we're, when we're talking to our clients. But when you basically the entirety of your session is just sitting in a chair talking to somebody, <laughs> you must need to be in the right headspace to, mm-hmm. to manage that situation effectively. Um, first of all, I'm curious, like logistically, how many people would you say is your max like like how many sessions can you do in a day, in a day. and be able to be in the right headspace before it just becomes too much too much, too yeah. much being present for somebody mm-hmm. holding emotional space for difficult things like yeah I think that's gonna vary uh, depending if you're doing in person online mm. um, for me I think five maybe six is the most in a day yeah and that's if it's a back to back to back right with a, an hour break. So like three, maybe in the morning, break, three in the afternoon. Because it does take a toll on you, right? Especially depending on the type of material that's coming up. So if it's a lot of trauma stuff, that can take a toll on you. But the good thing with psychotherapy is we do have clinical supervision, which is you talk to a senior therapist about what's coming up for you. Mm. So if client says something and elicits a response in myself, I have to kind of jot that down somewhere and be like, okay, this is what came up to me for me in this session with this client. Uh, and I have a good example of that too. Like I had a client, uh, this was early on in my practice where it was in person, kind of sending each other from across the room. And I think this was a couple sessions in, but he, we had, I can't remember what I said or what he said, but he got angry at me and he verbalized that. He's like, I'm angry at you. Mm. And my immediate response was like, holy shit. I didn't say that, but I was like, holy smokes, what is happening right now? So I felt this visceral response inside my body, like this knot in my, in my stomach. And I had to kind of like juggle like the client in front of me and my own processing of what was happening. So I had to kind of put that aside, be present with that feeling of anger. It's like, okay, the client's angry at me. Okay, what do I do in this moment? So we explored it, we kind of went through it. And the reason why he was angry, I found out after, was because I was the healthcare professional that he was angry at. Not me per se, like he was angry at someone else, but he was projecting onto me that anger. And I kind of said like, okay, you're angry at me. Let's talk about that. Let's kind of unfold, like go through that anger. Not to help me out, to help the client out, process his anger. And then towards the end of the session, the client actually apologized for being angry. I'm like, you're, you don't have to apologize. You, That's the feeling that you're coming up with. I'm proud of you for actually vocalizing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just such a profound experience. And I was like, and then I could breathe. Because yeah. I didn't take it so personally. It wasn't about me. It was about the client. Yeah. But you can see how something like that kind of impact you. How, how much of it is sometimes just being present enough to... like almost be a mirror for the client mm-hmm. to name what's going yeah. on with them like is that is that a foundational part of absolutely of what you do yeah yeah so something that we um, learn about is how do you mirror that back to the client so if i'm feeling stuck if i don't know i could just verbalize that I'd be like hey so i'm feeling maybe some uncertainty here i'm not sure what kind of direction to go in and maybe the client will say something to that nature too so like, yeah i think i'm stuck too right or um, I don't have the answer to your question. Mm-hmm. Again, being human, like I'm human. I'm not, I might be the expert per se, but you're the expert of your life and your story. Yeah. Right. So just going into those sessions kind of through the lens of like, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I'm going to have integrity. I'm going to try to That's be it. here and, you know, be transparent. 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting how uh, simple it seems and, and how sometimes like some of those pieces of advice uh, almost sounds similar to what you tell like a child, right? Yeah, it's like, exactly. what, what are you feeling right now? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, very okay, simple. you're worked up. Like, yeah. let's try to unpack why you're feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as adults, we <laughs> have the exact that. same thought webs that we get into. And yeah. it just manifests in different ways. We might not burst into a tantrum, but, you, you know. think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although sometimes that can happen. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um I was curious to ask you what you would say are the, you know, the, the pillars of good psychotherapeutic practice. Like obviously mm-hmm. there, it's a, it's a field where there are a lot of different people mm-hmm. with different backgrounds. Yep. Um, what would you say, like if somebody's looking to go to therapy, mm-hmm. what should they be looking for mm-hmm. in a therapist or what would be like red flags on day one within a session? Mm-hmm. The same with physio, like there are good physios and bad physios. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and there are certain red flags that I could speak to. Like if mm-hmm. a friend or a family member was like, is this legit? Right. Yeah. What would you say are things that people could have on their radar just mm-hmm. to make sure that the therapist is 
you know, oriented in the right direction? Yeah, I think that's a great question because even going through the process of finding a therapist myself, I've come into those red flags. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of finding like a good therapist, it's just someone who can listen to, to you, understands, can summarize what you've told them and provide that empathy, support, compassion, peace. So when people are looking for a therapist, it's kind of like you go online or the best way is to ask people. It's like, who's your therapist or who can you recommend? Because if they had a personal experience with someone, they're going to trust that person and then be like, okay, let's let's talk to this person, to this therapist, right? Yeah, again, every therapist can be supportive, can help. Uh, there's a bunch of modalities that can support the client. So for clients, it's just looking at, okay, who's this person? So if there's some backstory or some insights of who they are as a therapist, like how they show up, their various identities, whether they're male, female, trans, LGBTQ, whatever their identities that they show up with, can they relate? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, maybe it's a faith background because uh, when I was doing some work in the hospitals, people would always ask, oh, what's your faith? It's like, because uh, they want to see, like, are you uh, someone I can relate to? Right. Or, like someone I can talk to and confide in. Yeah. So just, yeah, looking for, for people who understand, can support you with the issue that you're dealing with, um, the experiences that they have, where they got their educational background, if it's just like, online at 123.com or something yeah yeah you want to make sure it's like a good reputable institution for the most part yeah um, they have some other additional training as well not just like okay you got your master's degree and now you can do therapy so tell me about your background like it might be good for people who sure. um, you know who know of the clinic yep. and know that you're here but don't know exactly what your training is mm-hmm. and you went through kind of an interesting program at UFT, yeah so maybe you yeah. expand on that yeah, absolutely. So my credentials are, it's a master's of, it's a, it's a mouthful. So it's a master's of pastoral studies in spiritual care and psychotherapy in the Buddhist studies. Huh. Um, so U of T at Emmanuel College does have a unique program. So there's the Muslim stream, the Christian stream, and the Buddhist stream yeah. that train people to either be chaplains or spiritual care providers in hospitals, military, corrections, or go into private practice or yeah. in community and agencies. Um, so I did my master's there. I also have the diploma in Buddhist studies and mindfulness. I did additional training in positive psychology, narrative therapy, compassion-focused therapy, solution-focused. So a whole variety of uh, different modalities, just again, to give me a different tool belt to help with clients. And I don't use all the approaches with each client. I use an integrative approach. I'll take elements from different disciplines, from different modalities, and integrate them into depending on what the client is dealing with. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I did my clinical internships in the hospitals, so at CAMH, mm-hmm. in the forensics assessment unit, so dealing like, a lot with schizophrenia, people who were dealing with schizophrenia and interactions with the law. Yeah. And then running a spiritual care group, which was quite intense and interesting there. Yeah. And then uh, doing spiritual care at North York General Hospital. Cool. So for um, the stroke unit and the respirology unit. Just kind of going in, talking to people, families, uh, dealing a lot with death and dying, which yeah. is quite an intense experience as well. But all that helped me into the private practice today. Mm-hmm. What was it like being at CAMH? I'm curious to dig into that a little bit. Yeah. Like I know like schizophrenia is one of those conditions that um, it's really like the, I mean, mm-hmm. the fringes of, like it's tough for people to live that way, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you literally, voices in your head telling you, oh, this is kind oh, of a... Yeah. Um, very hard to be a functioning member of society mm. in, in that light. Yeah, what was it like interacting with those people? It was intense. It was uh, my first time doing this kind of work. So um, the way they kind of get you into it is just like here, go into the deep end and go for it. Yeah, it's like okay, cool. Now I'm here. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> um, so yeah, you have this person that's kind of dealing with this. So I would, I was talking to. I remember I had like um, a mentor kind of shadowing. And I was talking to this one person and the things that they were saying, I was just like, wow, it just, it, it didn't make, it, didn't, it wasn't, it was hard to comprehend what they were saying. Yeah. But again, I could still see the humanity in that. There's still a person behind that. just suffering, dealing with their own mind. That's kind of just telling them to say these things, do these things. Uh, one cool thing that we did at CAMH, because I, I was also part of the, the women's forensic unit and I was partnered with, um, oh man, what was her title? It was an occupational therapist. It was recreational therapist. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so we did a walk and talk. 
So we actually walked outside in the, the ground. Obviously, it's all fenced in and everything, but we're still outside just walking, talking with the patients. Yeah. And just hearing, again, what they're saying and stuff and having like that therapeutic other person there to support you as well. Yeah. So it's yeah. quite a journey. And you saw some things too, like some physical altercations. Yeah. Me being a student, I was scared. I was like, what do I do? Like, I have to kind of go into the nurse's unit. Um, running the group was quite intense too, but I think that was impactful. Yeah. I mean, navigating conversations is difficult and navigating them with somebody who has, I mean, we all all have voices in our head to some degree, (laughs) but like the, you know, the clarity of those voices is a lot different and the (laughs) the contents of what they're saying is a lot different in the case of schizophrenia. Did you ever have any situations where you felt physically unsafe or like? There were times, um, again, we always would have like someone with us because we were students. Um, So running the group, there was a new client uh, not medicated or anything, just kind of new to the group, and he would always interrupt. So I was starting to get annoyed and feeling like, okay, this person keeps um, take, trying to take space from the group. And then I saw them, I think it was like a week or two later, and they were medicating a completely different person. Mm. Almost like this zombie, like just kind of there, quiet. Mm. You could see like the contrast of like kind of being unmedicated to being medicated. Yeah. And then just even like hearing or reading about the, what's happened, the things that they've done. I was just like, wow. Yeah. That kind of stays with you till this day. Like, I still remember certain cases that I read about. Yeah. But the group was an outlet for people to kind of share their experiences. Yeah. Like, I would develop some material on a topic of, like, let's say, hope. Mm-hmm. We would talk about that. I would have, like, a, a handout that I created for them with some quotes, some lyrics. We'd listen to some music, try to do some interactive exercises. And the clients enjoy those things. They're like, yes, thank you. Yeah, I, I imagine they find it healing just to, yeah. like, talk about, like, in an open manner exactly. about what they've done, what they've been through. Yeah. yeah, it must be hard to find a setting that's appropriate to do that mm-hmm. for somebody like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that must teach you a lot of empathy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And in terms of like another like feeling safe or not, um, I, I think I felt safe for the most part. Again, there's there's two altercations. So it's I think. A patient and a nurse and then patient to patient mm-hmm. and again as soon as something happens they, they ring the alarm or you kind of go they tell you hey come over here so you're kind of always safe the only issue is like you have no protection with you you just have like a walkie-talkie yeah so if something goes down it's like i need backup or you know you press like this alarm that someone will come yeah um but luckily uh, it was okay for me nice yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that's like, yeah, trial by fire. Like, you yeah. make it through that, and you're like, private practice feels yeah, pretty, yeah, uh, it's pretty, pretty chill. Pretty chill, yeah. Yeah. Um, you brought up the the idea of, of medication. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I thought would be interesting to touch on, because I know like one of the differences between a psychotherapist, as far as I understand, mm-hmm. and a clinical psychologist and a psychiatrist is that psychotherapists, mm-hmm. which is what your role is, yep. um, you technically can't diagnose people, correct, correct with yep. psychiatric conditions. Nope. So you can treat them. You can treat them, yeah. Um, so maybe as a way to kind of work our way into talking about, um, I was curious to ask about medication, but first I thought it might be interesting to talk about diagnostic labels mm-hmm. and to what degree they can be helpful mm-hmm. or harmful, because obviously that's not something that you're able to, no. you can't say, okay, you're, you have major depressive disorder, mm-hmm. you have anxiety, yeah. um, you kind of get people, you look at their... Mm-hmm. symptoms what they're yep. experiencing and you help them work through that exactly um to what degree do you feel like the labels themselves are like a helpful mm-hmm. life raft for people yeah. who feel kind of unmoored or can be kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy yeah again it depends on the the person right how they view the labels themselves because uh, you could have two clients who are labeled with depression and one of them will be like yeah i'm just a depressed person i'm not going to get better and this other person's like, yeah, depression or having this level of depression helps me understand what I'm kind of going through, what I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. But it's not something that I identify with. I'm not a depressed person. I'm someone dealing with depression. So yeah. you know, just like the language and how we use it and talk about it yeah. is a key factor too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I can diagnose people, but I can say like maybe it sounds like you have depression or anxiety. Is it something you want to get support around? Yeah. Again, going back to like the medication point too, if they have uh, depression, anxiety, whatever it might be, Depre- uh, medication might be a component to support them in their therapy journey as well. Yeah. So medication, psychotherapy, maybe even like physical therapy too, like some sort of personal training or exercise regimen is going to help them 
with their symptoms, with their with whatever they're dealing with. Yeah. Um, in your experience clinically, would you say that like you've seen a lot of people who are depressed, anxious, suffering from mood disorders that, mm-hmm. that just really get a new lease on life from, um, you know, antidepressants? Mm-hmm. Like, to, to, I guess what I'm kind of getting at is, like, to what degree do you feel, um, like, if somebody just does that and doesn't mm-hmm. work through some of the, you know, the mm-hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy, the talk therapy yep. stuff, um, is there a subset of people that just need the drugs and then a subset of people that really need a therapist <laughs> and a subset of people that need both? Like, yeah. Um, what's your take there? Yeah, again, it's going to be to the degree that it's impacting your day-to-day life, right? So yeah. if you're severely depressed, you can't get out of bed, you can't go to work, medication, um, maybe talk therapy is going to be beneficial to you. Yeah. Um, like with CAMH, like people were heavily medicated there, right? Because again, if they weren't medicated, they could be a harm to themselves, to other people. So that's when medication is the avenue. Again, the kind of medications and the the like the list of medications was a lot uh, again I'm not the expert there so the psychiatrist clearly knows what they're doing yeah um, but again I think it's a combination of approaches that help yeah um, yeah it's just a big it's a really controversial issue yeah. the, the whole idea of a lot of people kind of viewing themselves as um, like there's a big difference in, in the language around like I have depression mm-hmm. versus like depression has me mm-hmm. do you know what I mean or yeah, yeah. even like the notion of um, situational depression like grief mm-hmm. or something like that yeah. um, like I know a lot of people get medicated very quickly after mm-hmm. going through a very traumatic event yeah. where they may not have been a depressed person prior to that mm-hmm. yeah. um, even with kids too yeah, yeah you could even have the whole conversation about um, yeah about ADHD, ADHD and yeah. medication and yeah some of the things that might be worth trying before. Obviously, this is not my area at all. Yeah. It's just um, it's just interesting to see how our culture is very reliant on mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals. Yeah. And it's just this kind of easy... It's, it's this easy fix. Like, yeah. it's, it's, an, it's a nice narrative for somebody. Not to say right. that there aren't people who have... Obviously, clinical depression is real. Of course, yeah. Um, but I think there are a lot of people who just view like that can create a sort of narrative where they mm-hmm. identify as yeah. oh I'm a depressed person I'm going to need these forever yeah. and there are cases maybe where there are other avenues to explore mm-hmm. which is why I'm so glad that you know people like you exist who are around to help yeah help people yeah because medication is not the be all end all right it could be a temporary support um, until they're at a place where they can function and then it's like okay what, what can I do to help improve this this feeling that I'm feeling to then maybe wean off medication through the use of their doctor, psychiatrist, whoever's supporting them. Yeah. So if they need it, if it's uh, needed right away, okay, great, let's let's get you on that. Uh, but I think the majority of clients that I've seen, they, they want to move away from that medication. And I'm not there to tell them, hey, you got to move away from it. It's like, no, like you have to talk to the doctors. They're yeah. the ones that are supporting you. Uh, we can talk about what you might want to say, how it's making you feel, because again, the side effects are real too, right? So if you're depressed, you're taking this medication and it's causing weight gain, you're going to start feeling a certain way about yourself. Yeah. So there's just this whole cycle of like, okay, now I'm, I'm overweight or all that stuff. Now I'm feeling even more depressed. Yeah. Yeah, it can be a vicious cycle. It's um, it's good like that we have options. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. similar like with physical issues like in, in, in my exactly. realm. Yeah. It's like you could... There's all these different potential ways that therapists will go about treating their clients, whether mm-hmm. it's therapeutic modalities, machines, acupuncture, yeah. exercise, talk there, whatever it is. Like, um, and so a lot of people come to the conclusion of nihilism from that, mm-hmm. where they're like, "Well, it all works," and yeah. you know, or none of it works. Yeah. But like, you can you can land on the optimistic view that like, okay, mm-hmm. depending on who you are, there are lots of things you could do here. Like, we've got options, yeah. and I feel like that's. Um, it's just a matter of just knowing, I guess, who you're right for, mm-hmm. and that must yeah. be, which is kind of interesting to see that you've, 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 you have kind of niched down, yeah. and that probably makes your job a lot easier in a sense of for like the marketing purposes, for marketing <laughs> yeah. purposes, but probably yeah, like, for clients, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because again, like like I said, you can psychotherapists can support everyone with all the issues, but again, then you you come to the point where you're going to be burnt out. Like yeah. I'm treating with like everything. Right? But if I have a subset of focus, okay, I'm treating men with uh, career issues or relationship issues, 
personal growth concerns. Okay, I know what my focus is. And then I can see a common theme throughout. So let's say if I want to put something together that's going to support more men, I can put it together because I've had that experience. And something that even like you and Isha talked about in your last, last podcast was about like this medical model of like having a health team for the person. Mm-hmm. So even like here, like we have like all these therapists, all these different practitioners that are here to support the clients, but the clients will come to see one person and not the other. Or sometimes they will see both. Yeah. Right. But imagine if they saw everyone here. I know. How much better their outcomes would be and how much better they'd be in society and doing what they got to do, whether it's being a parent, a colleague, whatever. They're just like optimally they're functioning at a high rate. Yeah. Yeah, it would be that'd be really really interesting in the future to, yeah. s- to see what kind of model would best support a patient multi- mm-hmm. in a multidisciplinary Most, way because yeah. it's yeah. just like something that we we talk about so much but people tend to just they have a finite amount of insurance right. dollars yeah. that they can spend and they kind of find their one person and, and that's just it. They go stick with to that it, yeah. but yeah. I'm very grateful to have you hear when when mm-hmm. there are patients that clearly just yeah. and we've we, collaborated on a couple of patients too we have yeah. and typically like to good effect yeah. You know? yeah um it's it's so interesting how like a lot of these multidisciplinary clinics psychotherapy isn't something that they offer like the majority of them i, I would say like the physio chiro massage mm-hmm. osteotype right yeah. physical physical yeah uh, clinics um the psychological piece is it's everything yeah. For, yeah. for so many people right like we, we separate the mind and body mm-hmm. like and it just you can't do that <laughs> if you yeah, want to be honest we're still lagging but, a little bit here sorry we're still lagging on that component we are yeah. yeah and it's even like something we've come across is how hard it is to even uh, bring up the right the topic of hey maybe you'd benefit from psychotherapy Talking and people yeah. get really uncomfortable and they feel yeah. like it goes oh, back to the labels right it's like oh I'm I'm broken or crazy. I'm broken. Yeah. Like, yeah, the stigma is still kind of there. So people are like, no, I'm not going to talk about my problems or whatever. Yeah. To the stranger. Like, I think everybody, whether they're doing, you know, feel like they're doing well or not, could probably benefit from, um, you know, dialogue with Mm. uh, a psychotherapist, you know, it's like for some of us, it might air into the quote unquote pathological, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, it's something that I think that we, we need to just continue to try to break this stigma mm-hmm. around. Yeah. Um, yeah. What would you say that people are, are the biggest misconceptions that people have around psychotherapy that you have to break through? It'd be like that stigma, like, oh, if, I, if I'm in therapy, I'm crazy, I'm broken, something's wrong with me. It's like, no, you can be fine, you can be doing well, but you want to optimize your well-being. So think about like all great athletes, all great performers, they always have someone to support them, right? You go to a coach, you have a coach that's gonna show you your blind spots. Like, hey, you you need to improve on this. You go to a physical therapist to help you get better at whatever sport that you're doing, right? Mm. You get massages to feel relaxed. So we're all here to, to support people. So therapy, psychotherapy is there to support your mental health, right? With the thing that we're doing here with men's uh, health and Movember, it's a way for us to have these conversations, right? Especially as men, we don't really talk or open up. So we're starting the conversations. We're shaving our beards, we're kind of going there. Um, and even just before this, I was talking to Jason about like how our identity shifts, right? From like just shaving our beard, something yeah. so simple. And people are like, oh, you look different. Oh, I don't recognize you. It's like, okay, now we're having these conversations. How do we kind of get more into that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. How do you feel clean shaven, my man? Baby face, John? <laughs> Ooh, it feels cold. Uh, no, it's interesting. Uh, different reactions. It's only been day two, so yeah, still yeah. getting used to it. Uh, it's been a while, but I'm feeling okay. Yeah, I think I'll get used to it. Yeah. It's going to take time. Yeah, it's fun to shake shake people up a little bit. Yeah, I find I don't know. You see it's, someone, it's like, whoa, who are you? <laughs> it is really interesting though. Like people have this kind of avatar concept mm-hmm. of who you are right. by your your face, yeah. and then when you your shave your beard, like for me, I've had a beard forever, right? Yeah, beard's yeah. thick too. Like people are yeah. pissed off, literally. Mm. Yeah, like I've had um, I've had people like when I was in school. I remember right. I I went clean shaven one day, uh-huh. and a few people were like why did you do that? Like, mm. you know, they were, they were like angry at me coming from mm. this place of being almost uh, like you broke, you violated my concept of who Leo is, yeah. you know, <laughs> which was hilarious. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. How does it feel to be clean shaven right now? Uh, it feels good. Yeah. yeah, it's a nice change, honestly. I was I was telling you earlier, I, I kind of wish I could have just stuck with the handlebar mustache right. yeah. uh, <laughs> no from cheating. day one. But no cheating. Got to start fresh. Yes, start fresh. Yeah. It'll grow into that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, hey, it's pretty profound, right? How our physical appearance exactly. impacts just one the simple way thing. other just people appearance. see us. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's really interesting. Um, are there any other things about, would you say, like, like we're on the topic of men's health mm-hmm. that most people aren't aware of, um, you know, that would be worthwhile bringing up as, as we're, you know, on that, on that topic, mm-hmm. things that would surprise people about what men struggle with, like from your clinical practice or from research you've read, mm-hmm. uh, what would you anything to offer there? Yeah, I think men, as men, we tend to, to hold a lot of things in. Like going back to our identity, we have this provider, protector, presider role that we have to be a certain way in society. And if we don't uphold those identities, we're, we're less of a man lacking in the the manhood department the masculinity so how do we kind of break that stigma break that mold of like hey like i'm a man i'm suffering i'm going through health mental health whatever it might be who can i talk to who can i reach out to that could be a friend that could be a therapist even like if you go to like your physiotherapist and you're talking about certain things like hey i'm having this pain but i'm also not feeling like myself right and then you're there you're listening and then you can be like hey talk to someone Mm-hmm. or join the these groups that we might have here do something that's going to get you out of that mind space yeah because again we tend to isolate we'll just stay in hiding drink do drugs do whatever to kind of mask that pain yeah it's like oh no, i'm not going to talk about it. it's too weird so i'm not going to be vulnerable i want to have my shield i want to protect myself mm-hmm. right? but it's like no it's like you're not less of a man if you reach out for help you're actually more of a man i would say yeah because you're actually willing to go into the mud and figure things out work through whatever it might be the anger the stress the trauma and you get to uncover what's there for you and then yeah. find that peace and that sense of calm it's like okay i can breathe now yeah I take a breath i don't have to stress or worry about these things and that takes real courage absolutely um yeah it's amazing how much a lot of these practices uh like self-care practices Mm -hmm. let's say things like journaling or meditation Mm -hmm. or therapy or whatever a lot of them just involve getting what's in your head out into either on paper or you know into the air with a trusted you know Mm -hmm. companion for dialogue or whatever it is uh yeah it's not and and it can literally be as simple as just like naming it talking about it just putting it out in the open um yeah what is is journaling a practice that that you sometimes give to your clients i know it's very popular these days yeah. uh, it's kind of like the go-to talk to me about journaling yeah so it's kind of like the, the go-to practice that most therapists would recommend to their clients i myself included and again like you said it's just getting stuff out of your head onto the paper mm-hmm. so i saw an instagram post where it talks about like when you have all these thoughts you have all this mental clutter journaling is kind of decluttering that so it's having that mental clarity yeah. So if you're going through uh, like relationship issues, if you're just thinking about ruminating over and over again, stressed out, anxious, dreading going home, how do you kind of take that and put it into paper? Right? Again, you might not share that with your significant other, but it helps you kind of like see, okay, like what's happening here? Why am I feeling this way? What's going through my mind? Right? Yeah. And then if you look for particular themes, it's like, okay, this is what I'm kind of struggling with. Maybe going back to my masculinity, it's like, oh, I'm struggling with... I'm not showing up as a, as a husband, as a father, as a brother, sister, whatever it might be. I'm not showing up in that capacity. So now I need to kind of look at myself. And then maybe that's when I reach out to a friend, therapist, whoever, and get that support. Mm-hmm. Uh, so journaling is one component. Um, there are some journal prompts or some books that I recommend clients that can help them through processing whatever's coming up. Because sometimes people are like, oh, I don't know what to journal about. Right. They just stare at the blank paper and it's like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. Yeah. But if they have like a prompt or a question, that kind of helps them. Do you have any specific recommendations? It sometimes depends on what we talk about in session. Yeah. Um, so if there's a particular thing that I notice, I'll be like, okay, how do you take that and reflect on that going forward? Um, I had a good example with a client. It's not coming to my mind right now. Um, but it might have been something along with their career. Like they're seeing themselves uh, not fulfilled in their career. 
Mm. So I think I just tell them to like, what brings you fulfillment in a career? So kind yeah. of going to like the values exercise, uh, things you like to do, who is it with? And then they just kind of like write things down and kind of process it that way. It's like, oh yeah, uh, this is what I like to do. Yeah. Well, it's not aligned with what I'm currently doing. How do I make that shift now? Yeah. Yeah, we take such little time to actually pause <laughs> these days. Yeah. Hey, and like a lot of these practices involve not consuming information yeah. and just allowing things to kind of like linger and process mm -hmm. putting it out there in a way where we're not because I mean the classic example is just like most of us spend like hours a day on our phone yeah. right every adult moment is spent like consuming information Consume, yeah. yeah and uh yeah I, I don't know it's one, one of the things I try to do on a <laughs> on a daily basis is have at least like an hour doing something where I'm not consuming information from other mm. minds. Do you know what I mean? Like I find that's, that. That's so hard for me. I find that so therapeutic though. Yeah. Even like sometimes my bike ride, sometimes right. my commute to work, right? Yeah. And just trying to have an hour where I just let things like right. defrag in my brain. Because uh, the gunk builds up, right? Yeah. If you don't ever give yourself time that's to... True. And maybe like journaling can expedite the process mm -hmm. of cleaning that out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or therapy or, or meditation or... But being outside of nature too, right? Like yeah, that's another huge being one. Being in the city, going out camping or cottage or something, just being immersed in nature. And it's like, oh, wow, this is so beautiful. Like, I don't have to consume or watch all these videos. I can just be here in this present moment, going back to the mindfulness aspect. Yeah. Looking at the trees, the leaves, especially if we're going into winter, the leaves are changing. Yeah. Right? So just noticing that. We take it for granted. We just kind of like, yeah, cool. See totally. it every day. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, the way we live our lives isn't very conducive to presence sometimes, right? Eh? Yeah. 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 Um, and being in the midst of really societally like a mental health crisis, I would mm -hmm. say, where um, numbers are higher than they have been for yeah. a long time for suicides and, yeah. and mental health issues. Like, I, I don't know if you've been exposed to Jonathan Haidt's work on, on this. No. He's distilled a lot of research on just like mental health trends among teens. Okay. And, and Hasn't been a good direction, you know? Yeah. Um, what would you say culturally, I don't know, if, if you, ha you don't have to, this is a big question, you mm -hmm. don't have to have an authoritative <laughs> opinion on this, but what, what would you say um, are some factors that maybe are leading people to have a tougher time now than they, than they had in the past? I know things mm -hmm. have really deteriorated over the past like 10, 20 years when we look yeah. at statistics. Yeah, I think it goes back to like our, our lifestyle. How, how are we living in this present day? So like you mentioned, like all this consumption of whether it's technology, food, um, lack of exercise, lack of being outside, like there's so much that's going on nowadays that I think we lose sight of the simple day to day. Like yeah. Going back to like Stoic philosophy and like the ancients and all that stuff, what was it that they were doing back then? Simple journaling, being outside, being connected with family, friends, and I think we're losing that. We're being more disconnected from friends and families. Um, you, you see all these memes and stuff. Like you can be in the same room with someone and you guys are on your phone. I'm guilty of that too. Me and my wife, like we'll be in the same room on our phones, do whatever, being disconnected. Yeah. And sometimes we have to implement the rule. Like, hey, like no phones. Let's watch a movie or let's go for a walk or do something that we're engaged together. Um, even with like foods, like our food systems changed a lot. Yeah. Again, I'm not an expert in that area, but just based on what I've consumed of not like <laughs> research and stuff, um, even that's changed. Yeah. Right? So if you're consuming food that makes you lazy, tired, unmotivated, you want to stay on the couch. So again, going back to feeling there's this disconnection. And I think Johan Harry, he talks a lot about that in his books too. Yeah, Lost Connections is a yeah, great book, Lost Connections, which I'd yeah. recommend for anybody who's interested in digging into mental health. Yeah. More. So it's all about connection there, right? And in his most recent book, Stolen Focus, I don't know if you've read that, no, not yet. but it's all yeah. about kind of like the attention crisis and attention, how we're struggling yeah. to, to pay attention. And that is in large part what motivated me to try to carve out a bit of time each day where mm -hmm. I'm not consuming information endlessly, yeah. which is one of my, yeah. one of my addictions <laughs> as a curious person exactly, in the right? world who has access to social media. And yep. like, it's a, yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? We have all these, um, biologically wired in propensities mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there's a sort of set point that we're uh, we we tend to to want to stay at and a lot of our cultural influences right now are just completely not in line mm -hmm. with that like you think of 
um, information back in the day when we were evolving thousands of years ago, how right. scarce it would have exactly. been to hear information, like yeah. news worthy stuff, you know, <laughs> our ears would perk up because it For was sure. not something we were privy to very often. Okay. So we had to evolve to be really, really aware of any novel information that mm-hmm. would tell us something about the world. Yep. Now we live in this world where Anybody information is like new, it was this whole industry of news. Yeah. Um, and we have access to it at all times mm-hmm. and it just becomes more and more engaging uh, when it's enraging. That's what Hari's quote was. Yeah. What's enraging is engaging, which mm-hmm. I thought was smart. Yep. Um, but we still have these minds where we're like, I need to be tuning into this at all times. Mm-hmm. Similar analogy to food, right? Like yep. we're wired to exist at a time when food is scarce. scarce yeah. We got to like cash in when we get high calorie dense foods. Yep. Now, yep. you know, you got to McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go to Timmy's on the way home. Like that's it. It's uh yeah, there is kind of a bit of a mismatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought here. That's okay. That's all good, man. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. <laughs> um, I had something and just, yeah. It, it escaped you? It escaped me. Yeah, no, that's all good. Um, I was curious, well, we should probably wrap up in a minute here because I know you have a client in a, mm-hmm. about five, six minutes. Um, any parting thoughts, anything mm-hmm. that you'd like people to contemplate on, reflect on, uh, leave, leave the my five listeners with? <laughs> I'm one of the five, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess just going back to what we talked about, is just like taking time to, to check in with yourself. Um, how are you living your life currently? Are you happy with the way things are going? If so, great. Continue to do more of that. If not, then where can you make the subtle changes? Again, not saying to, to be drastic and start lifting five days a week, going to therapy, uh, doing all these things. It's like, no, okay, what can I do that's going to get me 1% better? And so what I tell my clients, like, what's one thing you can do today that's going to get you 1% better that's going to accumulate over time and have this exponential compound effect, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to like, oh, I need to be doing this. I need to consume all this. Like, no, let's let's chill. Let's take a moment. Let's reflect on what's going well, what's not going well, and how can we make certain some changes and kind of go from there. And yeah, if you ever want to reach out, welcome to, to chat. Yeah, know what we're doing here. And so you do a, I think I saw on your website a twenty minute free consult. Free consultation, is yeah. that right? Yeah. yeah. So if anybody uh, does it, do they need to be in Ontario? Correct. Yes. So yeah. anybody that's in Ontario. Um, wants to reach out, have a conversation, you can do so. Um, also doing walk and talks, so through Yaman and through my own practice, where we go outside in nature and have these sessions. Again, we would have to have the consultation the first session to go, to go through that process, but again, it's a way to, to get off the computer screens, off the sitting down and incorporating movement into the practice. Cool, man. Um, so it's Uplift Therapy for Men, Uplift people can therapy. find you at? Yep, or find me at Yaman as well, and happy to chat. Beautiful, man. Well, we are grateful for all that you do, and uh, thank you for making the time. Thank you.